Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 36 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, yeah, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, please do. Otherwise, if you're already a fan of the show and you uh, can think of one person in your life you think would like it, share it with them. Let's see if we can grow this thing. Otherwise, uh, we don't normally do this. <clears throat> in fact, we, we almost never do this, but um, I actually recorded this episode yesterday, and it was so bad. It was so bad. It went so terribly that I thought, damn, I can't do, I can't do the listeners like that. I have to at least try to re-record the episode. I mean, it was really bad, folks. You know, the first part started off fairly normally, but I swear by the by the halfway point there were like long pauses. Um I was just kind of stumbling over my words, my brain was in a fog. Uh I would start points and not be able to finish them. I would forget what I was talking about. And by the end of it, I was little, you know, I got like books all around me usually all the time, and I just started like <laughs> I always started grabbing books and like reading stuff. So, um you know, I'm not entirely against putting up a stinker every once in a while, but I thought, uh, you know, because I have time now, I might as well at least try to re-record it, and uh, so we're going to give this another shot. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll append the, uh, I mean, I literally titled it The Worst Episode. So I don't, I'm not sure, maybe I'll just append it to this episode and it'll be a super long episode, or maybe I'll just put it out uh, at some point, or maybe I'll hide it from you forever. Um... But yeah, I think yesterday was just indicative of how I've been feeling since school finished, which is I, I really feel like my cognitive fun- functioning is just not, it's just not 100%. I literally feel <clears throat> like when I used to, I don't smoke weed anymore, but when I used to, sometimes you would, I don't know, you'd go, you like, you'd, I don't know, either you got a different strain or something like that, but you would wake up the next day after smoking and you would literally, literally feel like you were in a fog. And um, that's how I felt. And... I sort of forget while I'm in school, but I really do get sleep deprived. <clears throat> and I feel like I hear a lot of people talking about this, so I don't know, I feel like sleep is this kind of, I don't know, is it stupid to say that it's kind of a trendy thing to talk about? But really, sleep is, is the most important thing that you can do for yourself. And maybe, you know, if you're young and you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but, you know, if you're over 30, you know, if I don't get eight hours of sleep, I genuinely feel it the next day. And it used that you know, life wasn't always that way, but that's the way life is. That's the way life is now. If I don't get a sufficient amount of sleep, it really fucks me up. And you know, when I'm going to school and working during the semester, I'm like working till midnight sometimes. And I, I, you know, I never who goes to bed right after they finish working. So I'll be up to like, you know, I'll be up to like one thirty two sometimes, and um. You know, at least when school was, you know, we were actually convening, I would be up as early as 7.30 in the morning sometimes. You know, so I would only get like four to five hours of sleep some nights. Um, But yeah, so anyway, school is over. I told you last time that by the time you and I were talking again, I'd be able to tell you how I did with finals. And uh, um, I did well. I got uh, 90%. Actually, it was actually I just got an email today that my grade was actually upgraded. Apparently, the teacher had one of the. Uh, how do I word this? They had the wrong answer. They were counting an answer that people were getting the. Uh, how do I say this? He was. He had to correct one of his own answers. That's what I should say. So people were marked wrong on a question that they were actually getting right. So actually, my score was improved. I think I got a ninety-three on the test. <clears throat> which is, I mean, it, it's, you, you know, maybe I'll have more to say about this, but I, I know we talked about this at the end of the last semester too, which is, you know, as the finals are approaching, I always tell myself like, oh, if I get an A in that class, that's going to feel phenomenal. And then of course it does. And the, you know, the feeling of accomplishment is short lived, but uh, I did get an A in chemistry. I surprisingly math has been the one I, the, the one class that for whatever reason I, I, as, as we're doing the lecture, I do not understand what the fuck is going on. I took trigonometry this semester and it's like, you know, I don't know if you've taken trigonometry, but it's not a very intuitive, <laughs> it's not a very intuitive topic. Uh, but, um, you know, because the teacher is exceedingly fair on what he tests people on, he's very clear about what material you need to review. Um, I've been able to prepare well for the test and I've done, 
I think I got like over 100% on the first exam. I got 100% on the second exam. But for some reason, this one, I got an 88, which was disappointing. But I still get an A in the class overall. Um, and then psych, I was very relieved that the final was actually very easy. So I ended up getting a 96 on that. So, you know, unless there's a big fucking surprise in store for me, I should have gotten straight A's again this semester. So uh, mission accomplished. Um, something did come up, though, that I don't know why it's... I don't know why it's sticking with me. Maybe we'll unpack it here, but two things happened. You know, I had all my finals in one day. I took them all Monday of this week. I'm recording this on Friday, so just earlier this week. And I probably spent the week before, I probably spent, I mean, at least at least 30 hours, but probably like 40 hours studying in preparation for the finals. And um, yeah, probably more because I think... I did the math. I, you know, I studied on that Sunday, the day before I started, I think I got home at like nine o'clock. I started studying probably about 10 o'clock and I was up until four in the morning, just reviewing stuff for my, almost exclusively for chemistry. And so, uh, the class is convening at nine o'clock for the final and we're, we're sort of zooming in or Skyping in or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, that Friday we had had our last lecture which was really just a quiz and then, you know, a brief uh, check-in with each other before, uh, you know, he sort of sent us off to study for our finals if he wanted to. But, you know, my teacher this semester was like my chemistry teacher last semester, which means he was a fucking hard ass. And I kind of respect it, you know, like, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like a, like a boomer or whatever the fuck when I say this, but, you know, people, it's not uncommon for students to be pretty soft and they're, they're quick to complain and I don't want to say they're entitled, but, you know, they don't do well with a teacher who's a bit rough around the edges. And um, and uh, this guy was kind of a strict guy, kind of a cold guy. But for some reason, I respect it. And there's something about, you know, my wiring, which is, uh, you know, I sort of just become what the teacher wants me to be. Do you know what I mean? And I go, okay, this guy's a hard ass. This is what he wants from his students. And so that's what I will do. And... um and he and I always always had a pretty good rapport throughout the semester. And I think part of it is that I'm the oldest person in the class. So, um, you know, not that I'm his peer. He's certainly my senior. But there's, I don't know. I think there's, I was probably more approachable than some of the younger students. But, but we're convening for the final. And, uh, I don't know, he starts off... Oh, sorry. I should have said on Friday before we left, he was saying, you know, no latecomers. If you show up late to the final, you're not taking it, you know, so don't, you know, make sure you have your camera going, make sure you have your computer going, make sure you have all your ducks in a row. Cause if you show up and you're not ready to take the final, you know, I'm going to invalidate your test and you're not going to get, you're not going to be able to take it. And you're like, all right, this guy means business. So, uh, normally he posts the zoom link you know, uh, through the app Zoom. That's how we're convening. He posts the link to the to the meeting like 15 minutes before class starts, and it's not up there. And so I'm thinking, what the fuck's going on? Class is supposed to start at 9, and the clock strikes 9, and there's no Zoom link. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. You know, this kind of puts me in a difficult position because I assume I'm doing something wrong, right? So 9.05, all of a sudden the Zoom link appears. We convene in the classroom, he spends a couple minutes addressing this, you know, experiment we did earlier in the semester. He wants us to turn in a report on. Fine, fine. And then he brings up this topic. You know, I, I told you earlier in, the, earlier in the semester, I failed my second exam. I got a 28 on it, which was uh, devastating, obviously. But he told us that, you know, for, for those of us that did not do well on exam two, if we do well on exam three, he'll replace exam two, our score on exam two with whatever we get on exam three. So even though I got a 28 on exam two, if I were to get 100% on exam three, which is which is what I ended up doing, I would ostensibly have a 100 for exam two also. So he starts, before he gives us our final, he says, you know, I've given it some thought and I don't think that that's the, I don't think that's a fair thing to do. Um, you know, it's not fair for the people who did do well on exam two to not have the chance to improve their score. So I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do, but, uh, you know, I'll try to do what's fair for everybody. And I sort of jumped in real quick and I was like, are you looking for feedback? And he said, sure. And I basically just said, you know, I, I agree with your reasoning. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? It, you're right. It's not fair for the people who did do well on exam two to not be able to improve their score, but it's also not fair to change your mind about, you know, for, for many of us who, you know, we're at a crossroads at that point after, you know, maybe not doing well on exam two. 
and we're considering maybe dropping the class. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not fair to now change your mind about the grading policy, you know, because for those of us that only continued because we thought we could sort of salvage our score for the rest of the rest of the semester by doing well on exam three, um, you know, now at the end of the course, it's it's sort of too late to change your mind. So, you know, maybe the thing to do is to give everybody who want every anybody who wants to improve or replace you know, exam two with their exam three score can have the opportunity. But, uh, but, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so that was sort of sitting with me. I was now about to take my final and thinking, oh shit, well, maybe I'm not sitting as well in the class as I thought I was, you know, maybe I thought, well, maybe I could get a high B in the, on the final and still get an A in the class, but maybe, maybe that's not the fucking case now. So that's not sitting well with me. And then he goes, this is the part that fucking is, is sitting with me. He goes, and also, you know, I, for some reason, I can't find the final. You know, I had it in a folder on my computer, so I could upload it to the, you know, the, the program that we use for the, for the whatever. And he's like, I can't find it. So I want you guys to sort of stay tuned, keep checking in with the announcement page on the, on the school website, or the, the, you know, the class website, and uh, give me about an hour and a half or so, and I'm going to see if I can find it. And uh, whenever I find it or whatever, you know, I'll post it there, and we can start taking the final, and you'll still have three hours to take it. And I'm like, motherfuck, dude, I have other finals to get to, you know? And this class is from like nine to noon, you know? So we have three hours to take the final, but that was supposed to happen between nine and noon. And then my next final is at two o'clock and I was going to use those two hours to prepare. But if you're starting an hour, an hour and a half late, you know, that sort of bleeds into my study time. You know, you're, you're pushing us past the scheduled time of the course. So it takes him, you know, I think at like 10.05, he finally you know, throws out an announcement that he's ready and gives us the final. It was riddled with mistakes. At one point, there's a question where that has a chemical equation on it or whatever, and there's no equation. So he had to like write it on a piece of paper and hold it up to the camera so we could all take it, <clears throat> you know, so we could write it down. And I'm just thinking, I, you know, this guy just threw a final together very quickly, you know, and just comparing and contrasting, you know, you know, I was saying my math teacher, I always thought was very fair. Um, even though I'm lost as he's lecturing, you know, when it comes to the examination, he says, look, review, ch the, you know, the chapter tests in your book, chapter one, two, three, whatever it is. And that's exactly what the, what the test will be. Meaning I may change the values of the questions, but if you can solve those questions, you're going to do great on the final. And sure as shit, when you take the exam, that's exactly what it is. And to me, that's exceedingly fair. I mean, it happens to be easier but it also seems exceedingly fair to tell, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that being a good teacher is trying to trick your students or trying to, to drill them. I mean, especially with a course that, you know, most of the people taking it, this is not critical to their careers or their education. I mean, this is a requirement for them, you know, so teach well, but also give people the opportunity to succeed. And don't worry the people who are not good students, you know, you could basically offer to take the final for them and they'd still find a way to fuck it up. I mean, there are people that have that type of constitution, but for the rest of them, you know, give them the tools to, the, to succeed and it will be up to them whether or not they, they sort of take you up on it. Um, but, you know, despite, you know, hearing the same thing from my chemistry teacher, the, the, the exact opposite was the case. You know, especially for the final, he was saying, study all your exams, study all your quizzes, um, study all these in-class assignments that we did. And if you do those, you will do well in the final. Sure as shit, you take the final. And there are questions, conceptual questions we've never encountered before. There was one equation, and I, I sensibly got it right, but I have no idea. I have no idea what it was. We've never seen any. I didn't even understand where the question was coming from. It had something to do with like vapor pressure above a solution or some bullshit like that. And we had just, we'd never seen anything like it. So I, I think I probably just guessed correctly, honestly. Um, you know, the test was a multiple choice test. But anyway, <sighs> anyway, yeah, it just seemed exceedingly unfair for me. I guess my, my thought was, and I don't normally feel this way. You know, I'll shovel shit and not complain about it. That's just sort of the way I'm wired. But there was something about him not being prepared and also... Um, I was going to say recusing, but I don't think that's the word. Him sort of going back on his plan about being willing to replace people's test scores. And also, why would you, you know, if, if you're sitting on the information that you're not prepared to offer the final, why would you start with anything negative? Like, wouldn't you just open with that and then slink away and try to make up for your error instead of 
<clears throat> dropping some potentially disappointing news on people and then having to confess that you're not prepared to give them the final. But yeah, there was something about the unfairness of him not being prepared that has stuck with me. And uh, I don't, I don't think that there's anything to be done about it, but I don't normally have these types of thoughts, but I was like, you know, if, if it is the case that if any of, any of us were late and we're not prepared to take the final, we would not be able to. And, you know, if it's 10, 15 minutes, that's fine. But there was something in my gut that was saying, hey, if you're not prepared to give the final, then we shouldn't have to take it. Especially if by the time you are ready to give it, you know, if you drop the final at 1030 and you're now pushing us an hour and a half past the scheduled course time, you know, to, to use the, you know, the three hours that you're giving us to take it, then we definitely shouldn't have to take the final. You know, people have other obligations. People like myself have other finals or people have a life to return to. You know, we've, 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 you know, we've committed our time for this amount of time during the morning, nine to noon. And if you can't, you know, if you can't give the final in that time period, then we don't take it. So anyway, not that there's anything to be done about it. You know, the final's over now, but, uh, but, uh, we'll see. So I've literally been checking the, you know, this, um, you know, whatever the software is where we can look at our class schedule, pay our bills, get our grades and all that sort of stuff. I've just been checking it every morning and refreshing it, seeing uh, when the grades are posted. So I should have gotten straight A's, but we'll see. We shall see. But yeah, I mean, you know, not that we need to have the same conversation every four months or so, but it did come up when I was talking with my brother and even with my friend, Matt, you know, our MVP from last year, my good buddy, Matt Evans, you know, this feeling of, you know, as I prepare for finals, you know, I always tell myself, I always tell myself, wow, once I, once I accomplish that, that's going to make me happy. Or, you know, I guess there were a lot of parallels between my chemistry teacher this semester and last semester, which is because they were hard asses because the courses were exceedingly difficult if I were to get an A in those courses, well, that, that would, that would be all the proof I needed that like, I'm a good student and that I work hard. And yet, even as I was, you know, you have three hours to take the chemistry final and it even warns you, it's like this, this exam will be submitted in like 30 minutes. This exam will be submitted in 15 minutes. You know, it basically gives you a heads up like, Hey, you're, this is how much time you have left to complete this thing. You know, I check my, I, you know, I think I finished all the questions with like 30 minutes to go. And I didn't have time to actually go back and really check my answers, you know, redo the calculations and stuff. But I was able to just kind of go through, at least make sure I had answers for all of them and kind of maybe rethink some of the questions that I wasn't sure about. But there was like two minutes left and I was like, okay, well, I've basically done everything I'm going to do. So like I just watched the clock sort of, you know, count down. And so, you know, after like the, you know, it gets down to like the 15 second mark and I'm just watching like 15, 14, 13 and all of a sudden it submits it and you see this sort of spinning wheel and it's like calculating your grade. And I was just like on pins and needles and it spits back to me, you know, 108 out of 120. And I'm fucking dumb. I don't know what that means. So I like grab my calculator real quick and punch it in. And my calculator spits back 0.9, which has since been raised to a 93. But I was like, yes, I did. I got an A on the final and inferred that I got an A in the class. And that was cool for like two seconds. You know, and maybe it was because I knew I had my next final in an hour and I had to start preparing for it now, but that feeling is, that feeling of accomplishment is so short-lived. You know, and I was talking to my brother about it and, you know, I mean, it was a brief conversation we had and I'm not sure he got to say everything he felt about it, but you know, I think we both agree that we're kind of the same person, which is, well, I I don't know if he would word it this way, but maybe I can only speak for myself. But for me anyway, you know, the way I speak to myself to, you know, to motivate myself is, you know, it's not like, hey, you should do great because that would really make you feel good. And if you get an A, that's such a great accomplishment. And that'll, you know, you'll really be able to demonstrate to yourself that you're a good student. Like for me, I'm telling myself, hey, you have to do well because this is the bare minimum. Like you're a student. This is what you've committed your time to. And a good student gets A's, you know, and, you know, maybe I do tell myself things like, hey, you're a smart guy. You have to live up to your potential. But it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not telling myself that it's an accomplishment. I'm telling, I'm telling myself it's what I should do, you know? And so when I actually do do that, 
there's really no room to celebrate because that's not how I've framed it for myself. I've like in my mind, I've, I've framed it as the bare minimum. And so really like, doesn't Chris Rock have that joke where he's like, people are, people are always saying, Oh, I take care of my kids. And it's like, you're fucking supposed to, what do you want a fucking medal? You don't get a medal for things that you're supposed to do. That's kind of how I feel with my grades. It's like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. You know? So, uh, yeah, I don't know what to do about that except talk about it in therapy more. So I've talked about that for like 10 years in therapy. So maybe 10 more years should do it. What do you think? Oh man. But yeah, now it's over. We're done with the semester. I got a couple days before summer school. Yeah, I actually have two. I mean, fuck, dude. I mean, I don't know when I'm going to get a real break here, but I'm actually taking this intercession class, if I can get into it. I'm like number six on the wait list. I'm hoping nobody shows up for the first day, but, you know, I'm basically, you know, not only do I have two courses to take during summer school proper, but I've actually signed up to take, you know, you know, you can take an entire semester of, for me, in this case, it's going to be anthropology, but you can take an, an entire course in three weeks you know, and they slot that between the end of the spring semester and summer school. So, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll have the chance to do a semester's worth of work in three weeks starting next Tuesday for anthropology. So, (sighs) I got to say though, I mean, I've said it before, but you know, given how this whole, you know, coronavirus thing has shaken down for people, you know, people who are out of work, you know, people who have, you know, no structure to their life right now. I mean, the structure of their life is completely imploded. You know what I mean? I really feel blessed how all this is shaken down, you know, that I'm able to work remotely. And actually, I think having school, you know, having this structure, having something to fill my time with has been a blessing too. And uh, even though it won't be, you know, I, I don't know if I'd call it fun necessarily, but you know, in terms of my emotional health, there probably is something good about having, you know, if it means having six hours of homework a day, well, that's six hours of, that's six hours a day. I don't have to think about, you know, what a lot of other people are forced to sit with all the time. So, yeah. And look, I still get to do the podcast. I mean, all things considered, you know, my life's looking pretty good right now. Excuse me. Yeah, I don't know why, but I'm thinking about True Lies. Have you guys seen that movie? It's a James Cameron movie. It's with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw it on HBO. You know, I have this HBO Now, HBO Go, whatever they call it. You know, you can watch HBO online. And uh, I think I was trying to find... Uh, um, I, 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 I realize it's an ESPN documentary now, but... I was, you know, I keep hearing about The Last Dance, which is this documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in the early 90s, and um, everybody's sort of singing its praises, and so I was like, oh, that might be something worth checking out, and I, I didn't know where it was, so I was sort of scouting for it, and I thought, well, maybe it's an HBO documentary. It's not, but as I was there, I was looking at the movies that they had and, and movies that were leaving, and I stumbled on True Lies, and I was like, oh, damn, I remember seeing True Lies when it came out in the theaters, and had, I mean, I, maybe I've watched it once or twice since then, but I remember really liking it. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I'll just give this a fucking throw. I mean, you know, when I work now, normally I have to like squeeze homework in between calls that I take as I'm, you know, as I'm working remotely, but, um, not having any schoolwork right now, it's like, I really don't know how, how I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to spend my time when I'm not on the lines. And, um, so I just had this movie playing in the background and I got to tell you, man, it really took me back to a time where movies were completely different. I mean, now that we're sheltering in place, nobody's going to the fucking theater, obviously, but there's even been a huge sea change in like theater culture, you know, since I was a kid, like you would see a trailer for a movie like True Lies and everybody who went to the movie theater probably saw it. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just a thing. Arnold Schwarzenegger's in it. You saw the trailer. If you go to the movies, you'll probably see True Lies, you know? <clears throat> and uh, it was funny, you know? It really is a funny movie, and I remember, there's something about it, too. I remember seeing it probably with my dad, and I remember him just getting a kick out of it. 
Like he loved it. I remember him laughing out loud at parts. And my dad's not, you know, my dad's not a humorless guy. I mean, he laughs, but there's very few things growing up that I think I, I really got a sense, oh, that really tickles my dad. Like he really enjoys that. You know, he liked action movies. He was always like a James Bond kind of guy. He liked reading like Tom Clancy novels. Do you know what I mean? These sorts of, I don't know, these sort of machismo, spy, you know, international drama, whatever the fuck, you know, like not, not quite, not even like John Grisham, like literally Tom Clancy, like Patriot Games sort of shit. Do you know what I'm saying? Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones was like a thing for him, you know? And actually, you know, my dad has always kind of reminded me, he's always had like a Harrison Ford quality to me. Do you know what I mean? You know, not that they look identical, but there's something, there's something about my dad that's always reminded, reminded me of, uh, you know, he's a sort of a Harrison Ford type, you know? <clears throat> but as I'm watching True Lies, there's a little, literally moments where I can picture my dad going, <clears throat> like that's how my dad laughs. He has this sort of whinnying, neighing guffaw. <clears throat> so like that's how my dad laughs. Like, there's this moment where, like, these two, you know, these two dogs are chasing Arnold Schwarzenegger and True Lies, and he just sort of turns around, and as they jump, he, like, slams their heads together. And I can just picture my dad going, <laughs> getting a huge fucking kick out of it. <clears throat> so, anyway, yeah, it just took me back to a different time in my life. And, by the way, dude, Jamie Lee Curtis is fucking awesome in that movie. She's so funny. You know, I can't think of another Jamie Lee Curtis movie that really sticks out in my mind. Like, uh, like Freaky Friday is like, you know, one of the movies I think about when I think about her. And what else was her thing? I guess Halloween, right? That was her thing. But I don't know that she, I don't know that any, you know, unless I'm like really spacing something, I don't know that anything else that Jamie Lee Curtis did really stood out. But she's fucking exceptional in that movie. She's funny. I don't know. There's something... I don't know. It's just it's just a really great performance. <clears throat> and it's a very funny movie. It's actually it was kind of sad though seeing Bill Paxton in that movie. Um who's also very funny. I mean, he plays a great he plays a great character in that film. Tom Arnold also is great. And you just think, god, life is long. You know, I think when you saw this movie as a kid, you had no sense of like where these people were at in their careers, obviously. I mean, these people are in a James Cameron movie. I'm sure he was off of, I mean, I'm almost confident that this was, you know, pre-Terminator 2. <clears throat> and, um, and so, you know, to be starring or co-starring in a, uh, in a, uh, a James Cameron film, I mean, you had to be a, a major celebrity, right? So you have Tom Arnold, you have fucking Jamie Lee Curtis, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tia Carrera, that was surprising. I think that's her name. She's the girl, uh, the girlfriend from Wayne's World. I feel the need to look this up. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, Tia Carrera. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and I don't know. It's just a weird snapshot of probably like the mid '90s or so. I'm not sure when it came out. Maybe like '90, I don't know, '96, '97 or something like that. But just a weird snapshot of '90s action and humor. And, you know, a lot of movies don't age well, but, you know, the action's still pretty thrilling. You know, of course, there's some, you know, laughable, you know, there's some laughable, uh, unrealistic moments, but it sort of plays to that, you know? It sort of, uh, I think it sort of knows what it is, you know? And there's, there's, I don't know. I think Jamie Lee Curtis brings a lot to the movie in terms of, like, having, like, just a really good comedic, but also, you know, dedicated performance and, uh, and, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's not awful in this movie. You know, some movies you literally feel like there's someone off screen just sort of like giving him a line reading and he's just repeating it, you know? Um, but he's fine. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about it, except if you haven't seen True Lies or if you haven't seen True Lies in a while and you happen to have HBO, see if you can hunt it down. You could probably run it on Amazon also, but. It's a good movie. Yeah. Otherwise, I haven't been watching much. <sighs> well, here we are again. Not really sure what to talk about. 
You know, it's funny. It's like as I'm going through the week, this always happens to me. It's like as I'm going through the week, probably since, I was going to say probably since finals ended, but there were so many times where I was like, oh, that's, that's, that should come up on the podcast or I should bring that up on the podcast. And then when I actually sit down to do it, I have fucking nothing. None of it ever comes up. I get to the episode and go, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't talk about that. But such is life. <sighs> yeah, honestly, it feels weird to be re-recording this too. I think because in the last episode, you know, I, I mean, I talk about this all the time. I feel like a broken record about it, honestly, but... You know, I talk about like, hey man, I'm committed to the process and it doesn't matter what, you know, it doesn't matter what comes up on the podcast, we're going to put it up and, and, you know, um, you know, I'm developing a skill set here and yeah, some of them are going to be good, some are going to be bad, but it doesn't matter. And so there's a part of me that's like, well, you should just put up whatever the fuck you do, do, you know? And even though this episode that you may or may not be hearing at some point was literally the worst episode I've ever done, there was something about it where I just said, I don't know, I can't ask people to listen to that. I got to go back and do one more round. But it's like, as I'm doing it now, it's like, I know what I talked about in that episode and I'm trying not to like force that conversation. You know, I'm trying to be present in the moment and talk about whatever comes up here. But like I said, man, my brain is just like, I don't know. It's not working. <laughs> on the uh on this you know this the worst episode or whatever this this episode I recorded that I'm re-recording I I spent like 15 minutes like trying to talk about James Joyce talking about Dubliners the short story two gallants two gallants two gallants whatever you want to call it it's probably my favorite story from Dubliners it came up for me for a couple reasons because it's you know, I was talking about this sort of like changing relief of literature. And like, when you come back to stories, like how they change over time, especially something like Dubliners, because it's, you know, they're stories of omission, right? You know, you, the stories are oftentimes are literally about what's not being said, but has to be inferred. Um, and I don't know if that's like a product of the censors at the time. I mean, like Ulysses, <clears throat> James Joyce's novel, Ulysses is, like one of those famous books for being on, you know, uh, the list of censored books or banned books or whatever. Um, I guess for its sexual content. I don't know. I've, I've tried to read Ulysses a couple times and just haven't been able to get through it. But, um, so I don't really know what's in there that's objectionable, but, but, um, the stories in Dubliners, there's some things that are just only alluded to that you really, <clears throat> you know, you really have to kind of be an adult to understand. And, uh, like I just finished reading just yesterday, the story that's after two glance called the boarding house. And it's unclear to me whether this, you know, the, 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 well, they call her the madam of this boarding house, whether or not her daughter is impregnated or just sleeps with one of the, the guys who works there. But it's like, the, it's, it's talked about so circuitously and only hinted at that you really have to kind of like put the puzzle pieces together yourself. <clears throat> but two glance is, uh, or two gallons or whatever you want to call it, is, uh, you know, one of the stories from Dublin, Dubliners that's always stuck with me. One, I just think it's just, uh, you know, it's a novel idea. It basically tells a story of two guys, two friends, two compatriots, two acquaintances, um, you know, sort of middle-aged guys. And it's basically all about their scheming, you know, their financial and sexual schemings on young women, you know, or, uh, you know, not particularly young women, but just, you know, their, their uh, sexual and uh, financial escapades. <clears throat> and one of them sort of like a womanizer. And so he spends the, you know, the, the story uh, talking about his sexual prospects and his conquests and how he has this, this new fish on the hook, so to speak, and how uh, he's pretty confident that after he sees her tonight, he can seal the deal. And the other guy sort of egging him on, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of listening almost admirably or admiringly, you know, and, uh, like all the stories in Dubliners, not much happens. They sort of talk about this, you know, the one guy goes off to sort of meet his date and they agree to meet later. And the other guy spends the interim thinking about his own life and his own prospects and his own escapades and wondering where he's at in his own life. Then they reconvene and he runs up to him after he drops the female off and says, you know, Hey, did it, did it come off? And the guy just sort of opens his hand and, and he has a coin that she's given him, you know, and 
it's never really articulated, but you're wondering, was this the goal of his escapade? Was it to get money off her? Was it to sleep with her? It's, I don't know. It's an interesting story, but, uh, it's probably, it, it feels the most, I don't know if the word is complete, but it feels the most effective of, of many of the stories in Dubliners. And it's always stuck with me. It also happens to be the name of, of a band. I think we've always pronounced it two gallants, but, um, uh, the name of a band here in San Francisco or a based out of San Francisco. And it's two guys. This was sort of like black keys kind of thing. There was a lot of like guitar and drum duo bands and, and they were one of them. And my buddy, Matt, our MVP from the podcast has been friends with, I think his, <clears throat> I think his point of entry, he was friends this. And this is before, you know, living out here in the Bay area. This is when we were, we, we were both in Arizona he was friends with the lead singer's brother. And um, so he always had, I don't know, a connection with this band. And then when I moved out here, <clears throat> you know, I don't know where they were at in their career necessarily. I think, you know, maybe just sort of past the the zenith of their, of their career. I mean, they were signed to Saddle Creek and all that sort of stuff, which was like, you know, the cool label of the time period. It was like the sub pop of that time period, you know. Um, you know, to be a band signed on, on Saddle Creek, which was, you know, the Bright Eyes label and all that sort of stuff. That was like, you were the real fucking deal, right? And, um, and, uh, yeah, so maybe that story has always been solidified to me also for that reason. But, um, that's sort of six degrees of separation connection. But yeah, I mean, if you don't pick up Dubliners and you're just looking for one story to read, read two gallons or two gallons rather. Anyway, yeah, dude, I feel so lame. I feel like there's so many things I should be getting to, and I just I got nothing. When I sort of reach in my quiver of arrows, it's like, oh shit, I'm out. But it's not like there's nothing going on. But who knows, maybe compared to last week, actually, there's relatively little going on. Work, I mean, for the last, I would say, three weeks, work has been a fucking nightmare. You know, I worked the crisis lines, and it's just the call volume has been insane. The The quality of the calls has been insane. I had some fireworks last night, but otherwise, you know, the last few shifts I've had have been a nice respite from how they've been in the past. And so it's like, like there's this, there's this sort of cosmic right-sizing, which is like, all right, man, you were pulling your hair. I was going to say pulling my hair out. Not that I have any hair to pull out, but you know what I mean? You were pulling your hair out for the last few weeks. Now that you're done with finals, we're just going to fucking chill. You know, let's revisit this conversation after my shift tonight. Who knows? It could be crazy, but at least lately it has been pretty fucking chill. It's like, I don't even know how to spend my time. Honestly, I saw my girlfriend on on uh, when this year, Wednesday night. And she's like, what'd you do today? I was like, dude, honestly, not much of anything. You know, I slept in, um, excuse me, I, you know, I played chess. Um, I, you know, I, I, for the last like six or seven episodes, I have not edited out clips to upload to the YouTube channel. Not that anybody fucking sees that shit anyway, but it's just something I'm trying to do as like good practice. You know, I've always, had, you know, it, it's always been my sense that when you're creating something, especially something like this, where you're sort of committed to the long haul, you know, I, I get, did this come up on the last episode where I was talking about, you want, like I was feeling, I think I did. I was talking about podcast enemy and the, you know, when I look at shows like your mom's house or other really big podcasts that I enjoy, you know, they have a community of listeners and you don't want to jump the gun and start doing things. You don't want to start. You basically want to wait till your audience sort of asks you for things or needs things. Do you know what I mean? So that's certainly true. I was talking about wanting a soundboard and all that sort of shit, but it's like, just, just keep doing what you're doing. Just trust the process and the podcast will become whatever it becomes. But I also have this philosophy too. Like when you're a creative person, like if you're a musician, you know, don't be scared to create what you want to create thinking that you haven't quote earned it yet. Meaning if you want to come out with an, with a record, make a record. If you want to make a music video, make a music video. You know, because I think a lot of creative people get in this thing where, you know, and it, maybe it was your first record. But a lot of times we're scared to do things because we make them and then we put them out. And because, you know, all we have is our friends to fucking release it to, really, 
we don't get the response that we want. And it really can be pretty wounding, you know, and it's really a deterrent from us trying to not only create new things, but even ambitious things, because we're scared. We're kind of scared to make a noise about what we're doing or to dare something uh, ambitious because we're kind of scared of the ecosystem that we're going to release it, release it into. And it's going to, it's going to feel, I don't know, over ambitious or whatever, for lack of a better word. But I've had this philosophy too. I think, you know, you really have to, and maybe that's why I like the idea of the podcast and we'll see if this fucking, we'll see if this works out for me, but I'm beginning to think, you know, a good creative process to commit to is one that you can do consistently. And I was just hearing a conversation, I think it was between comics, but they were talking about, you know, the comics they really enjoyed were the Chris Rocks of the world and the the Dave Chappelle's of the world, the people who weren't afraid to disappear, you know, and to go away for a while, meaning they would come out with something and then they'd go away for like three years. And just about the time you were about to forget about them, they would come back with something. And it was like they hit at the right time. And I think they were talking about the Beastie Boys too. And I thought, you know, for the, for that time period, that was probably a, a great idea. But I don't know if it's the case anymore. I don't think you can disappear for three years now and just come back. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> you know, I, I think we're living in a time period where you do have to release content consistently. And it doesn't mean that you have to come out, you know, if you're a musician, you don't need to release a song every week. But I do think, you know, unless you're releasing an album, geez, almost every other year, I do think you need to, even then you need to be releasing singles along the way. Um, I mean, for me, for the music stuff, you know, I was releasing last year, I just released a song every month, you know, a fully produced song every month. And uh, I plan to take this year off from doing that. And maybe I'll return to it. I mean, who knows what my creative futures, what or what my creative future is going to be. But I think any, you know, whatever you do, do it consistently. You know, I think a lot of times we sort of put everything into a record, we release it, and then we sort of, you know, it doesn't it doesn't do well, and then we lick our wounds for, dude, sometimes five, six years. You know, I have musical friends of mine who, you know, they haven't released any new content in like five years, you know? And, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want, but I think in terms of building an audience or having something for people to sink their teeth into, you got to do something consistently. You, I think we're just in a time period where there's so much content, you just have to keep reminding people that you exist. And that's why I kind of like the idea of doing a podcast, because it will be slow and steady at first, right? But if you continue to do it and you do it well, and you get better at it, you know, ideally you begin to grow your audience. But I think they're also, you know, there's this thing about having an entire world for people to sink into, because when somebody does find your show and they like it, if you only have 20 episodes for them to listen to, they will burn through it, you know, and then they'll kind of be done. And it's like, I mean, the same is true for me. Like when I saw one on the Chris Alia podcast, I was like, holy shit, this is my fucking podcast, right? But I think at the time there was, I mean, there was like a hundred episodes and I've literally listened to those first, you know, I'm trying to think of it. You know, I don't know how many there were, maybe 120 or so, like 120 episodes. I've literally listened to those three times. I've done the entire cycle of the Crystalia, you know, that those first podcasts three times because I was like, man, I'm so into this. And yet there's not there, like I, I've reached the end. I just have to, if I want to keep feeding this fix, I have to like literally just redo the whole thing. And I'm still a fan of the podcast, but it's like, even as new episodes come out, I feel my interest waning and it's not that he's doing worse. It's just, it's just not enough. Do you know? Like that once a week fix is just not enough. Whereas with something like your mom's house, which is a podcast I've just started kind of getting into, I guess in the last few weeks, I mean, it, it was basically my study, uh, accompaniment, like as I was preparing for finals, you know, I would pull up YouTube and I would have one of the things playing in the background and they would just keep going, you know, and they have like over 500 episodes or something. And it's like, I have no risk of running out of episodes of your mom's house. Because inevitably you do have podcast fatigue and you want to fucking move on to something else. But, you know, what really I think is important is to have that entire world to sink into. You know, if you if someone gets into Bob Dylan, they're fucking lucky because he's got fucking so many records. Do you know what I mean? They can literally just go down the rabbit hole. Whereas like if you if you stumble on Jeff Buckley and you love him, well, you got one studio album, you know, and you have some sketches from the second one, but that's about it, you know. And I just think we're living in a time period where you have to have an entire body of work for people to sing into. 
you know, if they're really going to, you know, become evangelical about you. You know, otherwise it's like, <clears throat> I can tell you about true lies and some of you are going to check it out. But what everyone's really looking for is the next show. You know what I mean? Like, you want to find a show, not just the new one, like you can go watch Ozark and see, well, I guess they have a few seasons now, but you know, originally when Ozark came out, it's like, oh, they have one season of eight episodes. Well, most people will burn through that in a weekend. Do you know what I mean? But if you tell somebody, hey man, check out The Sopranos, they're going to fucking love life, you know, because they got six episodes, or sorry, so they have six seasons, and I think they average, I don't know, I don't know, at least 12 episodes, maybe maybe even more per season. But you've given somebody something substantial to sink their teeth into, right? And that's fulfilling. And that's that's actually the kind of thing that people are evangelical about now. Like even telling you about true lies, it feels silly to say, oh, hey, uh, you know, check out this thing. And you're like, I don't know, man, it's two hours, you know? It's like people want something they, they can give themselves to, you know? And a movie is hard to give yourself to these days. I actually, like, I watched this, it was not very good, I watched this movie called Mom, M.O.M, and it stands for Mothers of Monsters, and it was just, it was not very good, but it was one of these sort of found footage horror movies, and it's, the premise is basically this mom is convinced that her son is a psychopath, and that he might be plotting to shoot up the school, or some sort of similar psychopathic thing, and so she's sort of creating a video diary of herself, of her son's deranged behavior, and trying to create this, you know, in the event that anything happens, that she was aware of it, and that she was sort of documenting these things, and that she was trying to help him, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just like, I don't know, man, it's just not very good, you know? And there was just something about watching it where, first of all, I'm watching it, and I go, this is exactly the type of movie that, like, when I was, like, in my early 20s, or whatever, or even my late teens, and you had friends who were like aspiring screenwriters, or they were always talking about the movie that they were that they wanted to make, and nobody ever fucking made a movie. But I was like, this is the movie that some kind of dumb nineteen or twenty-one year old would sort of sit around drinking with their friends come up with. But it's not like a really substantial creative idea, right? It's like there's something about horror too. Like I think the epit, like the the best of it would be like an Ari Aster type. But there's also something about who did Midsummer and um, and um, is it called Hereditary? But there's something about those films, as great as I think that they genuinely like. I think Ari Aster is a true like filmmaker, a true a tourist. It's also the type of thing that a lot a lot of would be filmmakers aspire to because it seems doable. Well, actually, one, it's very. It's I mean, because he has such a strong visual style and a signature, it's the type of thing that a lot of would be and aspiring filmmakers want to do. Right. But I also think that they think it's doable. And there's something about horror and a tourism that my sense is that a lot of aspiring filmmakers want to do something like that. You know, at least a lot of the early friends I had, there was something about, I don't know. I think it's because with horror, because there's a sort of strong visceral quality, I think on a subconscious level, people think they can they can sort of um, make up for their, like, true creative bankruptcy by creating something visceral. Like, when Requiem for a Dream came out, which is a movie you should see if you haven't. I think it's Darren Aronofsky. Like, when that movie came out, I bet every single screenwriting class or filmmaking class had people wanting to create movies about drug addicts. And, like, do you know what I'm saying? Because there was such an emotional, there was such an emotional punch with that. You know, the, 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 the idea or the, um, I'm not wording this correctly, but I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's not like there's a, you know, you don't have to be a great filmmaker. You're sort of relying on the emotional impact of your subject. I mean, this is sort of the Moonlight syndrome, right? Like everybody thinks Moonlight's a great film. It's not, there's, it's not great filmmaking. What people like about it is there's something about the emotional content that makes them feel good about themselves, that they're sort of, I don't know, cheerleading this, you know, this uh, closeted gay black male who's living in the inner city and, and, you know, oh, we live in a world where he can't express his sexuality. Like that, that is what people are intrigued by. It's not the filmmaking itself. There's an equivalence with like some horror films, right? Or if you can scare people, you can sort of have an impact on them without like having to be a master filmmaker. Does that make sense? Um, but there's something about this movie, Mom, Mothers and Monsters, that I was like, this is exactly the type of movie that a would-be filmmaker would want to make, and, and clearly did make, but it's just like, it's kind of a weak premise. And the poor, 
you know, as I was reading reviews, a lot of the, and it, like, it has like an 86 or something on Rotten Tomatoes, which it doesn't fucking deserve at all. But a lot of the reviews were saying, well, you know, the casting is great and the acting was good, but there was some, you know, story flaws or whatever. And I was like, bullshit, the acting was not good. Like, the woman who plays the mother has some good moments, but the, the you know, and he's a kid. I don't want to fucking crucify the guy, but the person who, the, the young man who plays the sort of supposed, or, you know, maybe they're a psychopath, maybe they're not. It's a total cartoonish portrayal of like a, a, a you know a film psychopath, you know like like there's something about child actors and not that this person's exactly a child. I mean they're playing a 16 year old, but they're probably who knows they're probably 21 or something. But there's something about you know you see this with when they cast kids as bullies in school. It always looks like some child actor who would just came off a of fucking Welsh's grape juice commercial. And they just put a fucking denim jacket on and a, and a backwards hat on him and they have him play a bully. And you're like, this kid's not fucking tough at all. You know, toughness is something you exude. You know, being menacing is, is a quality that you have based on your experience. It's not something you can really pretend. You know, you have to be able to tap into some darkness to portray it. Otherwise, it just looks silly. Like, it's almost sad. <laughs> Like, if this was a kid who was actually, like, this is a kid, like, uh, who's, like, posing as a psychopath. Do you know what I mean? Like, this isn't the kid who's actually listening. Like, this isn't the kid who's actually planning the Columbine shooting. This is the kid who's just sort of going through his goth phase. You know, they play it that way. It's sort of a cartoon character. Like, when I work on the crisis lines, you know, I speak with people who are seriously considering suicide. They have a very specific affect. And sometimes we get prank calls and we have people who try to, you know, you know, reel us into these conversations where they're telling us about their thoughts of suicide. And you certainly have to take these things seriously. But when you speak with someone who's actually thinking about suicide, the things that they say are very different than what someone thinks someone says who's having thoughts of suicide. Do you know what I mean? You can feel when someone's pranking you and they're talking about their thoughts of suicide, they're speaking very melodramatically. They're using a lot of cliches. You know, and so you have this quality of conversation that you're like, oh, this person's just sort of playing a part. And unfortunately, when when you have a sort of aspiring filmmaker or a new filmmaker or whatever it is or bad actor, they're not they don't they're not performing in a way that's actually going to make you feel something. Um, and where am I going with all this? Yeah, so that movie's not good. Don't watch it. Uh, and where was I going with that? needing a show. Oh yeah, maybe it was just something like, I think also, I bet most filmmakers now don't want to make films. You know, I think I was watching this movie, Mothers of Monsters, and I was thinking, not only is this like not a very good movie, but why would, why, why was it made? Like I was looking at the production value, which was, you know, not high. I mean, it was clearly, clearly wasn't a high budget movie, right? But I was also like, to what end? Like, why was this movie even made? there's already so much content out there. There's nothing on the page that screams, oh, this movie has to be made. Right? And it's like, I I, I almost felt bad for the actors, too, where I was just like, why why does this, you know, to what end was this thing made? Like, I just, I bet most people who want to make films now do not want to actually make movies. They want to make episodic content. You know, and it seems to me like if you want to be a, you know, I keep saying filmmaker, I'm not sure what you would call it now, maybe a director or, or whatever. I bet most people want to create episodic content. You know, it's like, it's not enough. It's, it doesn't seem creatively satisfying to me to just create a movie. Or if it did, it would have to be a very special movie. You know, not this sort of like throwaway horror film that doesn't really fucking have anything to do with anything. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know, maybe there's something, maybe maybe that's kind of what I mean with the whole body of work thing. Like, if you have one record, I don't know. Like, I, I try to think about how I listen to music now. I don't, I don't listen to records anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, even the 1975, who's like one of my favorite bands of whatever, has a new record coming out. I'm not really that excited about it. You know, maybe part of it is, is, is um, you know, their debut record to me was fucking incredible. That was like my favorite record of like the last like eight years or whatever when it came out. But uh haven't enjoyed too, you know, I haven't loved any of their, you know, their follow-up records as much as I enjoyed the first one. But um but um yeah, how does all this tie together? It's something about needing to do something consistently and and that's what a podcast can be. I mean, not that every 
you know, not that every episode is going to be fantastic, obviously, but there's something about just having that entire body of work for somebody to sink into. It not only feels timely, but it feels more fulfilling. You know, I said, you know, the, the podcasts that I like to listen to are the ones where I feel like I have a new friend. You know, oh, I found this new, like, <laughs> it's almost like you have a new man crush, you know? And maybe it's just because, you know, I think I think all the hosts of the podcast I listen to happen to be men, but it's like you have this new guy friend that you can hang out with, and you like the way they talk, you like the way they speak, and it's just like you have that new man crush quality. Do you know what I mean? And you, you're, you're in the bromance phase of your new friendship, you know? And it's like you just like sinking into, into, into all the episodes that they have, you know? And there was, if there was only one or two or even 20 or whatever, even a hundred, it's just not enough. You know, and I feel like whatever you get into now as an artist, whether it's, you know, don't write a film, <laughs> don't make a movie, make a television show. You know, because in a way it's almost like, maybe this is what I was re- responding to the, with the film. I was like, wow, this person did all this stuff. I mean, making a movie is hard. Getting the finances together is hard. Getting it distributed is hard. Getting it released is hard. But you need like a thousand, you need all the planets to align for something like that to happen. And that doesn't happen frequently. So now you've released this film and then what? You got to do it all over again to make another one? Whereas if the planets have to align, you better hope they line up for a television show because at least that has some legs. Like that's something that can carry you for a while. Do you know? I feel like a podcast is the same way. It's like you can have a hit song that's going to last a month. You could have a hit movie that's going to what be six months, a year, maybe. You know, when it comes out, there's like award season, whatever the fuck. And then, then you have to, then it's like, what's next? But if you have a television show, if you have a successful podcast, you know, it's not going to last forever. That's for damn sure. But it's going to, you know, it has a much longer shelf life. You know, I get, maybe I was thinking about Bob Dylan too, which is like, the good thing about a podcast is that they're kind of evergreen, right? Um... You know, I can start listening to your mom's house now and there's hundreds of episodes for me to go back to and listen to. And all, all the stuff that they've done in the past is still relevant and accessible. Same with a television show. You know, The Sopranos now lives forever. You know, anybody who wants to can go back and watch all 10 seasons of Friends if they want to. You know, and that's something that people can... You know, it doesn't need to keep airing on television. At any point, someone can go back and find that. And... um and ostensibly, you can still monetize it, right? <clears throat> so, I don't know. I feel like you have to shoot both... I don't know. I feel like you have to aim for a bigger target, but also, in terms of the actual process, it has to be something that's sustainable. You know, it's very easy for me to record this podcast. You know? it's. I mean, I, just, I literally just press record, talk for an hour, and post it. You know, from, you know, from recording to posting, it really takes me like an hour and a half if I really wanted to, do you know? And I, in the past, I've taken more time sort of editing out um, segments to post on YouTube. But that's, you know, again, not that anybody is waiting for those. That's just, I want to have things for people to sink into uh, in the future. But if I really wanted to, I could just do this, you know, I could dedicate an hour and a half to this a week and still have you know, at the end of a year, I still have a substantial body of work for people who enjoy it to, to sink into. Um, and it's more sustainable, you know, whereas it makes sense to me, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're a musician and you're trying to do a record, you would be exhausted after a record cycle, you know? I mean, I've had friends who have raised like, you know, through um, like Kickstarter or GoFundMe or Indiegogo or these types of websites, you know, they've raised like 15 grand, for a record and they've like blocked out studio time and they've hired musicians and uh you know they just go full fucking blast and make this record that they put out and nobody fucking listens to you know and they never make their money on and and if that's your experience you're right why would you ever fucking do it again you know it's gonna take you five years to lick your wounds and maybe delude yourself into thinking that this is a good idea. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, there was a period, I mean, I've gone through so many fucking sea changes in my creative trajectory or whatever, but I remember, 
you know, there was a period when I was writing and performing as the Plastic Arts where I made this record called Academy Clones that I just recorded at my house. And it was just me and guitar. And, you know, that record cost me, it cost me a shit ton of time in the writing and recording of it, but it cost me almost no money. You know, I just used the tools that I had. And even though, you know, I think, you know, if you look at those songs on Spotify now, they probably average tens of thousands of streams, you know, 20,000 streams or whatever. And even though I have millions and millions of streams on, you know, the music that I create now, when I was writing and performing as the Plastic Arts, there was something about that that really showed me, and I'm even considering it now, now that I'm sheltering in place, now that who knows when I can return to the studio with Gallon, you know, maybe the way forward with music is something like what I was formerly doing with music or uh, as the plastic arts and, and I'm doing now with the podcast, keeping it small, you know, and that music when I, that I did as the plastic arts, it did not reach a ton of people. It didn't reach nearly as much people as the music I'm making now. But you know, the crazy thing is the people who were listening to that music loved it. You know, and when I look at those streams, I go, every single stream that I see for the Plastic Arts is somebody who wanted to listen to that song. It wasn't on some curated Spotify playlist that somebody's listening to passively that's just sort of washing over them. That person said, I want to hear this. You know, and it's not, you know, I'm not saying it's the smartest thing financially, but if, but if, you know, if you're not going to make it, and by the way, if you're an aspiring creative person, I'm just going to tell you this now, you're not going to make it. You know, you're not going to make it. And it's not because there's anything wrong with you. It's because nobody makes it. You know, and the people who are successful, I mean, this sounds like the, like, the people who are successful are going to tell you that this is the, the language of losers, but I really do think it's true. I mean, that the people who are successful, you know, they, they did one thing, and so they think that's the tools for success. There's, and maybe business isn't this way. Maybe being a, a brain surgeon is not this way. I do think there is something special about, you know, the entertainment industry, you know, a creative career. The rules that apply to good business or, you know, that, that, that are tools for success in other areas, I, I genuinely just don't think they apply to arts and entertainment. You know, if you're a successful artist... You may have done X, Y, and Z, but there are hundreds of thousands of people who do the exact same thing that it doesn't work out for. And unfortunately, it is luck. And it's not only luck. I mean, you do have to have requisite talent. You do have to have work ethic. But the truth is, you don't really have to have those two. I mean, if you happen to be good looking enough and somebody looks at you and says, I can make money off this person, you know, you're going to have a career. Um, So it's not a meritocracy. But you know, I'm just, I, I do want to stress that. I mean, if there's anybody who's listening to this who wants to be a musician, who wants to be a podcaster, who wants to be a filmmaker, just assume you're not going to be successful. And it doesn't mean don't do it, but let that really sink in. And I think one thing I'm trying to tell myself now, something I wish I would have thought more of, and I think I got away from, you know, when I was recording as the Plastic Arts, I was really doing whatever I wanted. I was sort of creating in a vacuum, and I wanted people to listen to it, but it's like, I knew nobody was. And so in a way, I was more free, you know, and I was speaking from the heart, you know, and even though that music reached fewer people, I think the people that it did connect with you know, it really connected with them. And I think I created a record that for the people who found it and liked it, I know they listened to it for years. You know, I've had people tell me that that was like one of their favorite records of all time. And that's, you know, that's something that's harder for me to create now because it's now that I'm, you know, I have some people anticipating the music I create. It's just like, I, I can't tap into something like that. So anyway, what am I saying with all this? I'm saying, assume you're not going to be quote successful and let that really sink in and see see if that influences what you create. You know, create the thing that if nobody saw it, what would you be happy to have completed? You know, and I'm not just pontificating here. I mean, I'm talking to you, but I'm actually talking to myself. I mean, I've been very blunt that there are things I've wanted to create that I haven't created because I've been too scared to because they wouldn't work with a capital W. Do you know what I'm saying? But I think part about being older or getting older and about letting the process shape you is, you know, especially when it comes to creativity, you know, nobody's successful. 
and the successes that most people have are short-lived. You know, and the people who end up having a, you know, the types of careers that we want to emulate, it's, 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 you know, you really can't reproduce it. And of course, because some people, it's like winning the lottery. You know, people say, well, you have to, you have to play, you have to be in it to win it. That's what they say. You have to be in it to win it. Well, that's true. And the people who do win can always say, well, you got to be in it to win it. You know, I dared to, I dared to play. That's true. It doesn't change the fact that nobody else wins. One person wins and everyone else loses. And that's just the way it is. And that being the case, it's hard to justify spending your life playing the lottery when, I'm sorry, you're not going to win. Now, you may, but you're not. You know what I mean? It's like gambling in the casinos. You probably have better odds of beating the dealer at blackjack than you do at... at, uh, at uh, winning the lottery, and in the end, you're 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 just going to lose. That's the way the game is rigged. Anyway, we're fucking going long here. I'm blabbering. Uh, what have we learned from this podcast? That your boy is a straight A student. That your boy reads books, and that your boy is a fucking artistic genius. And this podcast is I'm creating a body of work for people to sink into, and and most importantly, if you're an artist, you will not succeed. So don't let that devastate you. Let that liberate you. But certainly let it sink in. You are not going to succeed. You're not going to succeed in the way you want to. But you can still succeed creatively by creating something that you're going to be proud of. All right. Is that good? Yes. Did we make up for the shitty episode that you'll never hear? I think we did. And does that mean that this is the best episode we've ever done? No. But it's certainly better than the one that was a fucking car crash of a nightmare that I recorded yesterday. So... Oh, man, let's get back to life. Uh, Let's get back to living. And uh, yes, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, do that. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And, uh, you know, take a minute to rate and review us. If you like the podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Take a second to write a couple sentences about what you like about the show. And if you got someone in your life who you think would like it, share it with them. And uh, otherwise, this was fun. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time and ciao for now.